0: What a joy to be with you here at Black Rock. Uh, great to worship together with you. Um, my family, we have lived down in Orlando, Florida for the last 17 years. And, uh, but before that, uh, we actually, I, I had grown up, middle school, junior high, high school years in New Jersey and then after college and graduate school, went back to, to Jersey to be a part of a church plant. And was there for a number of years before, in uh, 1999, after the tragedy at Columbine High School. Um, I felt God calling me out of pastoring in the local church to be a missionary to the campuses, to the high school students of our nation. And so we left New Jersey, moved down to Florida to join the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, so it's been uh, great to be down there for, for all these years, uh, but, but really being a missionary is, uh, for me, that's something that's kind of, um, I guess you would say, instilled in me from a young age. Uh, you know, when we moved to, down to New Jersey, see a picture of my family uh, moved down to Florida, um, My wife and I, Jennifer, we've been married for 24 years. We only had two girls. God's done a lot in our family in the last 17 years. Six daughters. My quiver is full. And uh, I'm not bragging. That's a prayer request. Please. Um, But an amazing journey that we've been on as missionaries during that time. But as a kid growing up in Southern California... I remember as a child, my mom took this cassette tape and put it on and would let me listen to it, and it was the story of this missionary to the cannibals in the Hebride Islands, a missionary by the name of John Payton, and I'd listen to it night after night, and she'd tell me I was going to be her little John Payton. And uh, then as kids, there, there would be many times where uh, my parents, they'd get bags of groceries and, and bags of clothes, bags of, of toys, and they'd load up the back of our station wagon, and we'd head south over the border into Tijuana, Mexico, pull off on the side of a dirt road, open up the back of the station wagon, and all the mothers and children, they'd, they'd come running up, and as kids, we'd get out, and we'd be passing out this food and clothes and toys, instilling in our hearts at a young age uh, uh, a compassion for others. And then just like BlackRock, I know you have lots of missionaries who your church supports and who come through here and growing up in the church, our church had lots of missionaries that it supported. And It seemed like anytime a missionary would come and share at our church, they ended up in our house after the service for Sunday dinner. And just uh, our exposure as kids growing up to these missionaries from all around the world. And so, uh, not surprising, looking at all of that. And then I even remember as, um, as a kid growing up, you know, hearing our pastor or, or, or missionaries preach on the Great Commission. In fact, across the back wall of our church as a kid, it was right there. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, "'Therefore go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation.'" And I'm a reminder as you walk out the back doors that you're entering the mission field. And then I hear preached uh, on the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And I'd, you know, hear that being preached on. I remember a missionary preaching, Jesus commanded us to go. So unless Jesus tells you to stay, unless he tells you otherwise, we're all supposed to be missionaries. Whoa. I mean, that was convicting. For a long time, that was, that was my mindset. We have been commanded to go. Until later studying and, and realizing that there in the, in the Great Commission, the command isn't. It isn't to go. The command in the Great Commission is actually to make disciples. That all of us are supposed to be disciples of Jesus Christ who make Disciples. And that word go, literally, it could better be translated from the Greek as you are going. So it's not about the destination, it's not about where you're going to, but it's about the journey. As you are going, be about the business of making disciples. As you're going to school, make disciples. As you're going to work, make disciples. As you're going to, work, make you're going to the store, Make disciples. As you're on the golf course, make disciples. As you're going on vacation, make disciples. Everywhere you are, whoever you're with, whatever time it is, be on mission for God. Be about his business of making disciples. That's what it means to be a disciple, actually, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, anyone who claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. So if we call ourselves a disciple of Jesus Christ, literally what that means is we are trying to follow in his footsteps. We're walking as Jesus did. We're, we're living as Jesus did. We're doing what Jesus did. So what does that really mean? look like you know there's this one phrase that comes up if you read through the gospels it comes up again and again and again this word sent sent that jesus was sending out his disciples and jesus said to them as the father has sent me i am sending you That as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to live sent lives. But how do we do that? What does that look like? Does it look like to walk as Jesus walked? I think we have a a, a great picture of that in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And you'll see it here on the screen behind me. And let me read that. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is great. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I think here in Matthew chapter 9, we have a a clear picture for Jesus and for those who would follow him, what it looks like for us to live sent lives. And it begins with this. To live sent lives First, we have to be where they are. We have to be where they are. It says, Jesus went through the towns and villages. He was where the people were. You know, the alarming statistic is this. The average Christian, after knowing Christ for only three years, has lost all relationship with their non-Christian friends. They really have no non-Christian friends. All of their life, after knowing Christ for only three years, now revolves around the church, activities at the church. They're no longer playing in, you know, the the beer league softball. They're, They're playing in church league softball. And we go from one Christian activity to another to another. And we get in our holy huddles and we have no contact, really no relationship with those who don't know Christ. Why be average? We need to be where they are. You know, with the, the focus that BlackRock has this weekend on campus ministry, you know, there's, a statistic that I think all of us need to pay attention to, and it's this. 90% of the people in this country who are going to become Christians will make that decision before they graduate from college. 90% who are going to become Christians will make that decision by the age of 21. 90%. But let's back it up. 85% of those who are going to become Christians in this country will make that decision before they walk across the platform of their high school graduation by the age of 18. But let's back it up. 80% of those who are going to become Christians in this country will make that decision by the time they leave middle school, by the age of 14. Do you understand what that means? I know that that this church supports missionaries and believes in missions all around the world and even locally, but here's what that means. The most strategic missionaries that BlackRock is sending out are your middle school, high school, and college students. To to have them encouraged and equipped and prepared with the mission of Jesus Christ, because every single day when they step on their middle school, high school, or college campus, that is the single greatest mission field in our country. And so for those of you who are teachers, those of you who are in, you know, administration, for those of you who are students, I mean, this, this church needs to get behind you, pray for you, serve you, support you, equip you, but not only that, to join you in the mission field where God has planted you. If you are going to be on mission for God and live a sent life, first you have to be where they are. The harvest is great out there, but you've got to step into the harvest field. So first, be where they are, and, and then we continue in the passion and we see not just be where they are, but you have to see who they are. What's this saying? When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You have to see who they are. You have to open your eyes. I mean, there are needs all around you. When you step outside the the walls of this church, There are needs everywhere, if you would just, but for most of us, it's almost as if we get so caught up in our own lives, in our own worlds, with our own needs, with what's going on, and our own priorities and everything. It's like our our chin has been surgically connected to our chest, and and we just, you know, we think about us all the time. Me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. It's like a bad opera. We need, to, we need to get our chin up and our eyes open and look around us because there are needs everywhere. I remember when I first stepped off the plane in Haiti almost 15 years ago. We started a, a ministry together with um, uh, our pastor friend, Pastor Will John, compare there in Haiti, and when he had invited me the first time I stepped off the plane, literally my senses were assaulted by the poverty. The stench of poverty filled my nostrils, literally. Poorest country in the western hemisphere. And as we're driving across the bridge in the city, in his car, the the windows were down because he didn't have any air conditioning and, and the, the stench started to come in and I reached down and I started to try and roll up the window as quickly. Kids, there actually used to be cars that didn't have a little button to push to make the windows go up and down. You actually had to like this little crank thing. I know you can't fathom it, right? And so I'm trying to crank as quickly as I could to get the window up. But the stench has come in, and it's trapped in my nostrils. And then I look out the window, and I see where the stench is coming from. We're driving past the city dump. And there in the dump are people combing through the garbage, looking for something of value. And I promise you, if they throw it out in Haiti, it really is trash. Driving through the streets and, you know, just the poverty everywhere. Kids, you know, naked or half-clothed. and I don't know, Sewage running alongside the street. I get out to the village, and I was out there to do a youth conference. I brought funds to, to, to feed the kids every day for, for that week while I was there. You know, they'd, they'd prepare up a plate covered with rice and beans and a chicken drumstick on top, and the kids would sit down in the dirt, and they'd eat every last grain of rice. Except some of the girls, they'd only eat half their food. Then they'd fold their plate over, and, and I later discovered they were taking it home so that their mom would have something to eat that day as well. Remember asking Pastor Will John, how, how often do these kids get to eat like this? You know, a, a real meal. My heart sank as he said, oh, maybe two or three times a week. Something that you and I would consider a meal. And in between that, gnawing on sugar cane or eating a, a, a mango or a banana or some piece of fruit, Or or, or a piece of bread, whatever they could do to quell the pangs of hunger. You know, it's not hard in a place like Haiti to see the needs. They are everywhere, they assault your senses. But you don't have to go to a place like Haiti to see needs. Just step outside the doors of your church and open your eyes, and there are needs everywhere. In fact, you don't even have to step outside the doors of your church. Just open your eyes in here. And there are needs here. If we would just open our eyes, you've got to see who they are. And what did Jesus, he saw that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without A shepherd. Yes, he saw their tangible needs. He saw what was going on. But more than that, he saw the spiritual need that they had, that they were spiritually lost. Sheep without a shepherd. So we have to be where they are so we can see who they are. But that's not enough. We continue and we see that Jesus had compassion on them. We have to feel what God feels for them. God, allow our heart to be affected. But you have to understand what compassion is and what compassion isn't. Compassion isn't just a feeling. It's not an emotion. Compassion is action. Compassion isn't something you feel. Compassion is something you do. If you feel something in your heart and you do nothing about it, that is not compassion, that's apathy. got to allow our heart to be affected. And the reality is, for for every one of us, we don't have the capacity in and of ourselves to love as Jesus loved. We don't. I mean, it's like we have a a, a love tank, and we give a little love here, we give a little love there, we give a little love there. You know, we've got family and friends, we got to love, and and our love tank goes a little lower, and a little lower. So when you open your eyes and you see needs and your love tank's getting lower you can't even respond to that because you have nothing left to give. And the reality is, if we're giving from our own capacity, we will never respond to the needs around us. We have to allow God every day as we spend time with our Father to allow our Father in heaven to pour his love into our hearts. What does John say? We love because... He first loved us. And so when we allow him to love us, to pour his love into our hearts and to fill us up to overflowing with his love and out of the abundance of his love in our life, we will have something to give. So when we see needs, our heart can feel and our heart can respond. We can respond as Jesus would. You know, going to a place like Haiti and seeing what I saw, could I do nothing? Could I walk away and say, well, I fed them this week, that's good enough, right? No, we started a ministry together with our pastor there. And over the the last dozen years, we've planted about 15 churches to bring the gospel all across the northern region of Haiti. And in many of those, we've started schools to educate the kids, uh, Christian schools. And in those schools, started a feeding program so that we're feeding those kids every single day so they don't go hungry. And then many of, uh, many of the people in, in these villages, you know, there's no medical care, so they're, they're going to the witch doctor. So we said, we've got to do something about that. We started a, a medical center, and now we're treating over 1,000 people a month at our medical center. Young woman from the village who, you know, we raised up and discipled and sent her off to medical school, and she's back as a doctor in that medical clinic, Haitian woman. Then after the earthquake in Haiti in 2010 said, man, there's going to be a huge orphan crisis as a result of this. We need to build an orphanage. And now we we have an orphanage that's the home to 50 precious kids. And, and many of these kids, I mean, they were living with an aunt or a grandmother who, who couldn't care for them, sleeping in the dirt, you know, grabbing handfuls of dirt, literally to eat, to, you know, fill their bellies. And after they moved into the orphanage, when, when Pastor Wajon, when he came, the first time he came to visit the kids at the orphanage, they all came running up to him, Papi Wajon, Papi on." they were so excited to see him. And they're grabbing him by the leg or by the arm and pulling him this direction or that direction, He's, where are these kids taking me? And I pulled him and wanted to show him their bed. Because for every one of these kids, it was the first time in their life that they had their own bed. In fact, for every one of them, it was the first time that they actually even slept in a bed, not on the floor, in the dirt. Standing there and realizing that, tears just began to stream down Pastor Will John's face. His heart just broke. You know, when you are where they are and you see who they are, then you can have compassion. You can feel as God feels. And that compassion has to turn to action. And that's where we see this last thing in Jesus in terms of what it looks like to live sent lives. You have to move when God moves. You have to move when God moves. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send more workers into his harvest field. And then you continue right after that in the gospel of Matthew chapter 10. Jesus gathers the 12 around him and he gives them authority to cast out demons and to heal every disease and sickness and to bring the gospel message. What is Jesus going to send them to do? Two things. The great commandment, to love people tangibly to bring the love of God to people, healing every disease and sickness, meeting needs, and the Great Commission, to bring the gospel to them, the spiritual need that they have as someone who doesn't know Jesus. The Great Commandment of the Great Commission, that's what he's sending them with. And you continue down in verse 5, chapter 10, and it says, these 12 Jesus sent out. They moved when God said to move. It requires a step of obedience. If you are going to follow Christ into the harvest that is there, you're going to have to move. You're going to have to take some step. And I want to tell you this morning, you have no idea what one step of obedience can do. For our family, 17 years ago, we felt God calling us to the mission field of the campuses, and so we took that step of obedience. And then it was a year later, there was a, a Billy Graham conference in Amsterdam. There are going to be 10,000 pastors and evangelists from all over the world gathering there, but you had to apply in order to get accepted invited to the conference, and I thought, well, there's no way that that I'd get accepted, so I'm not even going to bother. But my wife, Jennifer, she felt like, no, Doug needs to be there. So unbeknownst to me, she filled out the application and sent it in for me. And I I received back the invitation from them that my application's been accepted. I'm like, what is this? But that step of obedience, of going there to answer them, that is where I met Pastor, will John compare from Haiti? All the ministry that we've done over the last years in Haiti, that one step of obedience. It was there that I met pastors from uh, Kenya, and uh, they invited me to come and do ministry there in Kenya with them. And as a result of that, and now over the the last 15 years, I've been on the campuses Across Africa, more than a dozen countries in Africa, speaking to students and sharing the gospel with them. I've trained pastors and youth pastors across the continent of Africa as a result of that single step. But not only did it transform our ministry, one of those trips to Kenya, visited an orphanage, met a girl, and my wife and I decided God's calling us to adopt. And so in 2005, we moved halfway around the world to Nairobi, Kenya, to go through the adoption process, bring, uh, at the time, our youngest daughter, Mary Faith, into our family. And then, you know, after we started the orphanage in Haiti... There was only two orf- little orphan girls who I knew of in Haiti at the time So when we were building the orphanage had in my mind well, we were building this for these girls and many more children like them. I had no idea that the orphanage wasn't going to be the home for those two little girls. Our home was going to be their home and we ended up adopting them. God not only transformed the direction of our ministry, he changed the portrait of our family. As a result of one step of obedience. You take that one step and move when God wants you to move. You have no idea the miracles that God has in store. You just have to obey. So as you be where they are and see who they are and feel as God feels, what is the move that God is asking you to take today?